Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, praise the Lord. Let's get into his word. And can we just open in a word of prayer just over the word today as we just crack open God's word. Father, thank you. And we just ask, Jesus, that you would speak to us through your word. We ask, Lord, that your hand would just be upon us as we open your word together today. Holy Spirit, just uh, illuminate our understanding and, uh, and, and begin to direct our thoughts and just begin to teach us this morning as we just uh, take this time to just, uh, again, hear from you. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to be finishing up our series together, Building Community to Reach Our Community. This is the, the theme that God laid uh, on our hearts as a, a team as we were praying for what the Lord wanted to do in 2023. And uh, last October, as I was praying about this particular theme that I felt just starting to just, uh, just grip my heart, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit just led me. I was, I was just writing down some thoughts. Okay, how do we, what does this look like? How do we, how do we see this happen this year? What are some things that are important to, to bring us together? And I, I just want to share just um, about five of these items that I just jotted down. And the more I, I, I kept reading over them, I just realized, boy, Holy Spirit, I think you're in this. God, I think you've, you've spoken these things. And so together, building community to reach our community, here, here, here are some of the points that God put on my heart. The first one is this, together we pray fast and seek the will and direction of God. How many of you just believe prayer is important, right? And when we come together, and we're going to talk about that, that's the focus this morning. Together we worship, cultivating a sense of awe and wonder in the presence of God. Together we fellowship, growing on our relationships and developing a genuine love for one another. I just really feel like, like these are things that God wants us to really work on and cultivate as a body and as a church. Together we grow through a commitment to discipleship. And together we serve looking for creative ways to reach out and love our community. These are the five initiatives that I really feel like God put on my heart that we are to work on. And we've been talking about how to do these kinds of things uh, as, our, as our pastoral team, our staff team, as we've been getting together, we've been talking about what does this look like? What are some ways that, that we can begin to incorporate this into our body this year? I truly believe that God wants to join us together, wants us to join together in prayer and fasting in worship and in, in fellowship and discipleship and community and, and, and serving and outreach. I, I just really believe that God wants us to, to just focus on coming together and building community because I believe that if we, if we do this, if we begin to come together, that the Lord will position us, will put us in a place that, that he will just give us an extra measure of grace to really be able to reach out to our community and, uh, and, 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 and really see prayers answered. And I, I believe that miracles are going to take place when we come together. As I prayed how to conclude this series, I felt led this morning to share on the power of praying together. The power of praying together. How many know that prayer is a powerful thing? 
Prayer is a powerful thing. I, I read a quote this week that just completely just gripped my heart. And it, it simply says this, prayer has already divided seas and rolled up flowing rivers. It has made flinty rocks gush into fountains. It has quenched flames of fire. It has muzzled lions and disarmed vipers and poisons. It has marshaled the stars against the wicked and it has stopped the course of the moon and arrested the sun in its race. It has burst open iron gates and recalled souls from eternity. It has conquered the strongest devils, commanded the legions of angels down from heaven. Prayer has bridled and chained the raging passions of men and destroyed the vast armies of the proud, daring, blustering atheist. Prayer has brought one man from the bottom of the sea and carried another to heaven in a chariot of fire. How many of you know that's all the things that the Bible says prayer has done? Right? That's historical fact. Prayer does great things. I've got a few amens. Second Chronicles 7.14 reminds us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's a powerful passage. That's a powerful passage of scripture. If my people, you see there is power when God's people humble themselves and come together to pray and seek the face of the Lord. Powerful things happen when God's people begin to humble themselves and repent of their sin and their wicked ways and say, God, we need you. God, we seek you. God, there is, there is no one else that can do what you do. There is no other answer for the brokenness in our land. There is no other answer but you. God, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, 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 there's a promise, there's a promise, but it's contingent upon if my people, if my people united in prayer when we come together in prayer, it moves the very heart of God. Charles Spurgeon, I love this quote, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. That's really good. This is what the early church discovered. This is what happened when, when they came together in prayer. Powerful things happened. The book of Acts records the importance of prayer in the life of the early church. When they faced persecution, they came together and prayed. When they were selecting leadership and deacons, they came together and prayed. When Peter was stuck in prison and he couldn't get out and there was a mountain, and we're going to look into that a little bit today, they prayed. And when they sent out missionaries, they prayed and God moved upon their heart and said, call set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have called them to do. It was all about prayer. It was a result of prayer, a result of a prayer meeting, a result when God's people were coming together and valued coming together in prayer and to seek his face. And in the text before us, we see an early church 
the nucleus of what would become a worldwide movement, praying together. I want to walk through several passages of Scripture in the book of Acts, and I want to, I want to highlight these followers of Jesus as they were in prayer, and I want to show us some of the benefits that come when God's people come together and pray. Number one, praying together positions us to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Positions us to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 starts out with Jesus meeting with his disciples in the 40 days following the resurrection. He, he comes and he, he's appearing to them and he's, he's talking with them and they're asking, is this the time you're going to restore the nation of Israel? They were under Roman occupation and, and they had believed not only just in a spiritual savior but a political savior that would once again restore Israel back to a nation that they would no longer be under the hand or occupied by Romans. Is this the time you're going to fix our nation? Is this the time that we're going to overcome the political Political struggles of Rome. Is this the time? And Jesus refocuses their attention on something way more powerful than political power. And he says this in Acts 1, 4, and 5, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then a few verses later, he, he talks about this promise. And in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends to the Father. And that's it. <laughs> Here's the instructions. See you later. Here, here, here's what you're to do. Well, okay. What are we to do? Wait. Wait for what? Wait for the promise of my Father. He talked about it. Wait for the promise. You're, you're, wait, for the, wait for the promise of my Father. Wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and this is what they do. You have to understand the context of what's happening here. When, when Jesus ascends to the Father, nothing politically has changed. They are still under Roman occupation. There is still persecution. There is still unrest. There is, there, there, is, there is still the same problems that were in the world before, uh, before Jesus ha ha had, had died on the cross and, and, and rose again. There were, there were the same problems that were still there. The same Roman occupation, the same political landscape, the same thing was still there when Jesus ascended to the Father. But now they've been given instructions and that is Wait. Go and wait. Go and wait. I don't know about you. I'm not a good waiter. Go and wait. Aren't you going to do something? Go and wait. And what they do, they return to Jerusalem, and it, and it says that in Acts 1.14 that they, 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 they went up to a place that's described as an upper room. All these were in one accord. And they were devoting themselves. How were they waiting? They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, and his brothers. Who were his brothers? James, Jude. Those are the ones we know that, that we see highlighted in the book of Acts. They were there. They were there in that room. They, they, they went in that room. What are we to do? What are we to do? Jesus has ascended. What did, well, what did he tell us to do? He told us to wait. Well, what do we do while we're waiting? Well, let's pray. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Let's pray. 
And they, they united and devoted themselves to prayer. Their, their posture, their, their perseverance, they were devoting themselves to prayer. It's the same word that we, we read in Acts 2.42 when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, 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 and to the breaking of bread and, 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 and all of those things. The breaking of bread, and it says into prayer. That same word devotion is here. They were devoting themselves to prayer. It's all throughout Scripture. In fact, every time there's a, there's a context where this particular word devoted is used, it, it's, it's, it's oftentimes in the context of the church praying. It, divides, it, it describes an earnestness towards a thing, perseverance, a, a constant diligence. It, it describes an assiduous attendance to a matter. In other words, they devoted themselves to prayer and they kept at it. This wasn't just a, I gave five minutes on a car ride. This wasn't, I, I just woke up and decided. This was, you know what, I'm making a concerted effort. I'm making a decision that I'm going to come together with God's people and we're going to seek the Lord together. We're going to position ourselves in a way where we are bombarding heaven and we are opening ourselves up to the moving and and the the gift of the Holy Spirit to be poured out. They devoted themselves to prayer. And what was the response? We'll see it in chapter 2. The Lord sent His Holy Spirit. John Stott, a renowned Bible scholar, he comments, he says, there can be little doubt that the grounds of this unity and perseverance in prayer were the command and promise of Jesus. He had promised to send them the Spirit soon. He had commanded them to wait for Him and to come and then begin their witness. And then John Stott adds this. He said, God's promises do not render prayer superfluous. On the contrary, it is only His promises which give us warrant to pray and the confidence that He will hear and He will answer. We, we pray... Because God's promises give us confidence that as we pray in His will, as we pray according to His Word, as we pray in accordance with what is in His Scripture, God, you said you would do this. God, you have the power to do this. God, you promised you would do this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive give their sin and I will heal their land we want the promise without the premise we want the promise without the premise God we want you where are you why aren't you healing our land well if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray It's amazing to call a prayer meeting. Everybody's got too much on the calendar. But heal our land, Lord. Holy Spirit. What was the result? Acts 2, starting in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared on them 
to rest on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When they positioned themselves to come and to pray together and to wait upon the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the promise that Jesus had made to them was fulfilled. Friends, it is fulfilled when we want, if we want the promise of the Holy Spirit, if we want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we've got to position ourselves in a place where we're ready to receive from the Lord. We've got to put ourselves in a position where we are open, where we are praying together, where we are humbling ourselves and seeking His face and allowing Him to move upon our hearts and and confessing our sin. And as we begin to open ourselves up and put us in a position, God begins to pour out His Spirit. During the weighty Welsh revivals, the outpouring uh, was, was just really strong. And a curious visitor asked, one of the, in one of the meetings, somebody to tell them the secret of the movement. What's the secret of this outpouring? What's the, what's the secret of the movement? And, and evangelist Evan Roberts was on his feet, lifting his hands to heaven, and he answered, there is no secret. Ask, and ye shall receive. Ask, and ye shall receive. And indeed, that's the explanation, isn't it? When people are living in the the flow of the Holy Spirit, believing prayer becomes the order of the day and revival becomes the natural expression. That's the natural expression. Pastor Tommy Barnett of First Assembly of God in Phoenix, Arizona, he said this, the presence of God in in the midst of a church is directly proportional, proportional to the amount of prayer that takes place there. The early followers of Jesus, they, they understood the power of prayer. They understood the presence of God and, and, and that it was dependent upon their willingness to come and wait upon the Lord together. Pastor Ray Pritchard wrote this, while I believe that revival is a sovereign work of God sent by him and not created by us, I also believe that when God wants to do a great work, he usually begins by stirring his church to pray. Our prayers do not bring revival, but they do prepare us to receive all that God has for us. He writes this, I hear it said that America may be ripe for a great spiritual awakening. I don't know how true that is, but I'm certain that we stand greatly in need of a national spiritual awakening. And when I consider the moral decay of our land stretching from the White House to the courthouse to the schoolhouse to every house, I know that we desperately need an outpouring of God's Spirit. How many would agree with that? We desperately need an outpouring of God's Spirit. If we truly want revival, we need to pray for it. We need to prepare for it. And we need to ask God to send it. And we need to come together as a body and seek His face together. That's what the early church did. They waited patiently for God to answer. Waiting time is not wasted time, friends. If we pray together unanimously and harmoniously and continuously, I firmly believe that God will pour out His Spirit on His church and on our community. For if a thirsty man wants water, he must come to the fountain with his cup right side up. And if the church wants revival, friends, in a big way, then we must come to God with our cups right side up. Oh, fill us up, Lord, fill our cup.
Fill us up, Lord. Fill our cup. If our cup is right side up, then we are positioned like the believers in the early church to receive the outpouring that God wants to bring. They devoted themselves to prayer. There are many examples of the power of corporate prayer, ushering in revival and the presence of God. In fact, let me mention a few. In 1857, America was riding a wave of a strong economy at that point, and as tends to be true in times of prosperity, there is a show of radical decrease in an interest in the things of God. Because of this decrease in the things of God, because everybody was just feeling the, the effects of prosperity, there was a layman by the name of Jeremiah Lampier whose concern led to a call to prayer. And he tacked up notices across New York City calling people to a weekly prayer meeting on Wednesdays from noon to 1 p.m. in a rented space on Fulton Street. The first prayer meeting was held on September 23rd, 1857. And when he first opened the doors, only six people showed up, and most of them waited until 12.30. The next week, the attendance jumped up to 20, and every week the numbers began to climb. And then on October 10th, the stock market crashed. Financial panic ensued. Trouble had a humbling effect on many hearts, and it turned to spiritual matters. And it wasn't long that somewhere between 10 and 50,000 businessmen were meeting together every day in New York City to pray at noon. And by week 15, the meetings moved from weekly to daily. In 1858, a prayer movement leaped to every major city in America, and it's called, it led to the second greatest awakening that swept our land. Estimates are that, that, out of, uh, that about a million Americans out of a population at that time of about 30 million were converted in less than two years. And it all started with prayer. It started with prayer. Because somebody said, we gotta begin to pray together. Reese Howells, a Welsh coal miner, journeyed to South Africa as a missionary in 1910 in response to an increasing burden from the Lord. Six weeks after arriving, he joined in a prayer meeting, and out of that came a sweeping work of the Holy Spirit in which they had to have two revival, uh, excuse me, two revival meetings a day for 15 months and all day on Friday. Thousands were converted as a result. I can tell you story after story after story after story. Friends, if we want a spiritual awakening across our nation, if we want revival to begin to flow across our nation, it starts when people begin to devote themselves to praying together because praying together positions us to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, praying together renews our love and our care for one another. On the day of Pentecost was poured out, Peter began to preach, and it says that there were 3,000 that were added to the church that day, and next we see the devotion of prayer. I read it earlier, I'll read it again, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and, and fellowship and breaking of bread and in the prayers. The devotion... A devotion to meeting together was synonymous with doctrine and fellowship and, and praying together. They did not ignore the importance of coming together and praying together. And what was the result? Acts 2.43 tells us that the fear of the Lord began to fall upon them. Every one of them, the fear of the Lord began to fall upon them. And the apostles began to, to, they began to see miracles under the unction of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Miracles were being done. 
And in Acts 2.44, I think one of the greatest miracles that is often overlooked is the love and concern and care that they began to have for one another. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all anyone who had need. That's radical generosity and care and love and concern to make sure that there was no one that was going without need. And it was motivated because they were coming together in fellowship and in devotion and in prayer. They prayed together, they ate together, and it increased their concern for one another into an overflowing generosity. You see, praying together unites our hearts and deepens our care and our love for one another. If you're, if you're finding that you're, you're struggling in your marriage, there's something powerful that happens if you start to pray together. It's really tough to, to begin to pray together and then start to have problems. Prayer deepens love and concern for one another. Galatians 6.2 encourages us to carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. What was the result of, of this devotion? This devotion to fellowship and this devotion to praying together and this devotion to coming together and, and, and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the do- What was the, the result of their love for one another as they began to share with those who had need? Acts 2.47 says that the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. The result was salvation. The result was fruitfulness. Why? Because they were abiding in the vine, and they were abiding together in prayer. And as a result of that, God began to do a mighty work and added to those who were being saved on a daily basis. So praying together ushers God's spirit, opens our capacity to love and care for one another. And thirdly, praying together reignites boldness when we face attacks and discouragement. In Acts chapter 3, as we continue on, the work of the believers was continuing. And as they were headed to the temple for daily prayers, there was a, a man who was lame and who was begging alms as they were going by. And Peter feels an unction of the Holy Spirit, and he looks at him, and he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man begins to get up, and he begins to dance, and he begins to praise God. And a mighty miracle gathers a crowd around, and Peter, seeing a crowd gathering around, begins to preach in the name of Jesus. He begins to preach the gospel. He begins to preach about Jesus and why Jesus came. And all of a sudden, they're outside in the temple courts, and there's a whole lot of stirring going on. And they get arrested because the, 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 the religious leaders were like, man, we got rid of that Jesus guy, but yet this still keeps coming up. We keep having problems. And they arrest them, and they begin to, to, they begin to inquire, whose authority, in whose name have you done this? And they're declaring, it is in the name of Jesus. You can't speak about that name. Oh, yeah? Right? I mean, this is, this is what's happening. And the religious leaders aren't opening. A powerful move of God has taken place. A miracle has happened. And the religious leaders can't. They're not open to it. They sought to dampen what God was doing through his church. And they began to threaten Peter and John. How many know the enemy always wants to threaten what God is doing? The enemy likes to threaten what God is doing. The enemy likes to move and threaten the move and the work of God and what he's doing. And so they were threatening that. And this is what it says in Acts 4, 17 and 18. In order that it may spread no further among the people, like, oh, we don't want this to keep going. Let us warn them 
to speak no more to anyone in this name. No, don't talk about Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, they declare, we can't help but speak about the name. We're not, we're not going to do that. And seeing that they, 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 they weren't going to do that, uh, they, they, they began to, 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 to threaten them further. It says that they threatened them further and then they, they released them. They punished them and they, and they released them. Well, they've, been, they've been threatened. The enemy has tried to dampen the work of what God's doing. They've been told, don't speak in the name of Jesus. You've already been arrested. Worse is going to come if you keep doing this. They punished them. They threatened them. And they sought to dampen the work of God. So what is the response of Peter and John? What's the response of the early church when they feel an attack, when they feel threatened, when the work of God is being dampened? What's the response? Something very powerful about praying together. Verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, and they continue on. I'm not going to read the whole prayer. What did they do when they were attacked, when they were discouraged? What did they do? They didn't complain. They didn't moan and groan, oh no, oh no, what's going to happen to this work? Oh no, we can't, we can't speak about it. Oh no, what are, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do? No, what did they do? They lifted their voices together in prayer. They lifted their voices together in prayer. They began to seek Jesus. This is the model that the early followers of Jesus leave for us, and that is that when something tries to interfere and bombard and dampen, when you feel discouraged, when you feel threatened, when you feel persecuted, here's what we need to do. We need to come together and begin to lift our voices to heaven together and call upon the name of the Lord, and call upon the name of the Lord. When you get that news from the doctor that you didn't expect, what are you to do? Get together with some other believers and begin to bombard heaven and call upon the name of the Lord. When you're finding that it's difficult and maybe you're about to lose your job or you're having struggles, what do you do? You get together and you begin to call on the name of the Lord. Friends, there's something powerful when God's people begin to call on the name of the Lord. When you feel intimidated, you want to share your faith, but they're telling you you can't share your faith here. You can't share about Jesus here. You can't speak about that name. When you begin to struggle with your witness because you have a little bit of fear and you need a little bit of boldness, what do you do? You don't pray just on your own. You come together with believers and together you begin to call on the name of the Lord because what happens, verse 31 happens, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Mm, are you getting it? Boldness. A re-outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A re-outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not a one-time experience. It's an ongoing experience. It's an ongoing of coming to God and saying, fill me again. Oh God, stir it up in me again. Oh God, I need more of your Holy Spirit again. Oh God, I need more. Boldness. 
That opposition resulted in greater unity, power, and growth for the church. Acts 4.32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said to any that things belonged to him or was his own. They had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. Their praying together reignited boldness and confidence in the work of God, and the grace of God was poured out upon them and was upon them all. Fourthly, praying together releases God's power and protection. Acts chapter 12 illustrates another important benefit of praying together. The context of the church was facing severe persecution. There was another Herod who had rose up into power. The first Herod was, was King Herod, uh, and, and, and he was Herod the Great who was king when Jesus was born. And when the wise men came, you might remember the Magi came, and they, they said there's a king who's been born in the east. He wanted to snuff it out, and so he tried to kill Jesus by killing all the baby boys two and under. He was paranoid. King Herod the Great. The next was, was Herod Antipas. He was the one who killed John the Baptist and was there when Jesus was crucified. But now a third Herod has arisen and he's trying to strengthen his political position among the Jews. And so he arrested James, the brother of John, one of the disciples of Jesus, and he arrested him and he had him beheaded and he saw that it pleased the Jews. And so to strengthen his political position, to strengthen him, it, what, what he had uh, it, 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 with, with the Jews, he decided he was going to now arrest Peter, and he was going to kill him too, and to add insult to injury, he was going to do it on the anniversary of Jesus' crucifixion. Seriously, that's what it was. In Acts 12, 4, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Passover was the time where Jesus was crucified. Here it is, and it seems like an impossible situation. John, his head has been beheaded. Peter, under a Goliath-sized amount of guards and under chains, the church with no political clout and no resources and nothing but fear-drenching questions, and the leaders were being killed, and, and, and what would happen to this early movement? What would happen to this early movement of the church? Peter is killed, James is killed. What if they kill Peter? And then what if they go after others? And what's going to happen with the leadership of the church keeps getting taken out one by one? What could the church do about it? I'll tell you what they did about it. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer was made to him for him to God by the church. Earnest is the same word that, that Jesus, the same word that when Jesus earnestly prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and literally sweat, sweat drops of blood. Friends, the problems that, we, uh, that they were facing are, were bigger, and the problems that we face oftentimes are Goliath-sized problems that seem absolutely impossible, and we don't know, God, how you're going to work or, or how this is going to happen, but I'm going to tell you something, friends. There's something powerful that happens when God's people come together and pray. The impossible turns into the possible when God's people come together and pray. These early believers didn't picket the prison. They didn't petition the government. They didn't protest the arrest. They didn't prepare for Peter's funeral. They prayed earnestly and constantly for his release, and God answered in a mighty way. 
In fact, Acts 12, 12 tells us they were in an all-might prayer meeting at the house of Mary, who was the, the mother of John Mark, so she might be Mary Mark. That's kind of funny. They were praying together, and here was the result. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the whole thing. Hang with me. Acts chapter 12, 6 to 11. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between those two soldiers. Peter was sleeping. He's about to be killed, and he's sleeping. You want to talk about the peace of God in the midst of, of something bad? Bound with two, between two shoulders, soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. I think this is funny. Peter is so asleep, the angel struck him <laughs> on the side and woke him up, saying, come on, get up, <laughs> Right? And the, uh, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. Oh, there's something there. And the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision, thought he was dreaming. And when they had passed the first gate and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angels and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people who were expecting. You see what happens when the church prays together? When the church begins to earnestly, constantly, devotedly begins to pray together, God begins to do the impossible. Chains begin to fall off. Prison doors that have kept things bound begin to open. When God's people pray. When God's people pray. When God's people pray. Oh, I hope you're getting this, friends. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's what James 15, 5, 16 says. I'm going to close with one last story. Worship team, will you come? It's the power of praying together. Peggy Smith was 84 years old, and her sister, Christine, was 82. The years had left Peggy without sight, and Christine's body bent over with pain. They were not able to leave their house. They were what we would call shut-ins. They lived on the Isle of Lewis off the coast of Scotland. And here was the problem. A spiritual darkness had settled upon their village of Barvis. The congregation was losing people and the young people were mocking the faith, speaking of conversion as a plague. In October of 1949, the presbytery of the Free Church called their members to pray. But what could two elderly household-bound sisters do? Well, in their minds, quite a lot. They turned their little cottage into an all-night house of prayer from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., two nights a week. They asked God to have mercy on their city. And after several months, Peggy told Christine, God had spoken these words to her, I will pour water upon him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. So what did they do? She called up her pastor and she urged him to conduct a revival in an unknown, or to, excuse me, and to invite a well-known evangelist by the name of Duncan Campbell. And Duncan Campbell reluctantly declined because he had another engagement, but Peggy received news with confidence. God spoke to her and said, he is coming, he will be there in a fortnight. 
That was her reply back to the pastor. And guess what happened? God worked, and Duncan Cal- Duncan's calendar, Duncan Campbell's calendar changed, and within two weeks, the meetings began. For five weeks, Duncan Campbell preached in Barvis Parish. Large crowds gathered in four services at 7 p.m., at 10 p.m., at midnight, and at 3 a.m. And the move of God upon the people was undeniable. Hundreds of people were converted. Drinking establishments closed for lack of patrons. Saloons emptied and the church grew. And the Isle of Lewis tasted the presence of God. All because two elderly women who couldn't even get out of their house to come to church said, we can't do much, but I'll tell you what we can do. And it's a whole lot. We can begin to pray. We can make our house open and a place for people to come and pray. There is something powerful when God's people come together to pray. There's something powerful that happens. It opens us up to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It improves and begins to, to cause us to care and love for love one another in a way that is radically different than anything else. There's nothing else that works like that. There, there is something powerful that happens when you're discouraged or you're facing persecution or you're facing a difficulty in your life, when you come together for others to pray, you begin to be reignited in your face, faith with a new confidence and a boldness, and miracles begin to happen when we pray, and the impossible becomes possible, and chains begin to fall off, and iron gates begin to open, and God begins to do a mighty work when His people come together and pray. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on the earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. One final quote. Our passionate prayers, Max Lucado, and Outlive Your Life. Our passionate prayers move the heart of God. Prayer does not change God's nature. Who he is will never be altered, but God has wired his world for power, but he calls upon us to flip the switch. He calls upon us to flip the switch. Friends, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you that God is calling his church to pray. 1030s on Sunday mornings, we got a group that meets right over here to praise for the service. Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. in this room, it's a time where people come together and pray. And we're going to be looking at other ways that we can bring us together to prayer. pray. Because why? Because that is what moves the heart of God. That is what makes the difference. That is what ushers in revival. That is what will bring us together in unity. It's when God's people devote themselves to pray, to prayer, to come together to pray. Jesus, 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 right now, we need you. (laughs) Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we worship you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you, God. Father, as your people, we just come right now before you and we call upon your name. 
We call upon your name. We need an outpouring of your spirit. We need an outpouring of your spirit. We need an outpouring of your spirit. Oh God, you know those that are hurting, those that are facing discouragement, those that are facing news that, 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 that just has overwhelmed them. God, you, you know those, God, that are praying because they, they, they know that, that, that someone in their family is bound in chains by the enemy. Somebody in their family has been under lock and key by the enemy. Oh, we pray, God, that you'll begin to, to break the chains. You'll begin to drop the chains. You'll begin to open the iron doors. You open doors no man can shut. Oh God, we just come together right now in the name of Jesus, right now when we begin to call upon your name. We begin to call upon your name. We ask you, God, to do a mighty work, to do a mighty move in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.